0: Welcome to Pure the Podcast. I'm Mike. And
1: this is Orlando. And we're on episode... Are we at 71 now? 72. 72? 72. See, I asked this time. I didn't do some crazy math equation. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks, that shows Mike. some
0: maturity you're, wow. you're growing up.
1: Are you saying I've been immature? Is that what well, you're saying? I mean, you got to know what episode I've on, Oh my goodness. On, right? Okay, well, I'm glad that we have an incredible guest to make up for Mike's comments in the last five seconds. Yeah. It's, it's all good. So... We always want to have real relevant resellers, people that are really do making this happen and they're constantly sharing. And today for the first time ever we have a great guest that I think they've never been on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I think you got to phrase that correctly. Okay. So this isn't the first <laughs> time ever we've had a great guest. Oh no, okay, all right, you're right. No. We have a great guest <laughs> yeah. who for the first time ever is appearing on okay. on YouTube, which this is amazing. Like we get we get a uh, exclusive rights to to his debut which is really awesome so so here we go so so let's introduce introduce yourself a little bit brad what's up
2: guys my name is brad uh you might know me from instagram as son of a son of a seller uh i'm a full-time reseller been doing it for well been reselling since 1994 been, uh, reselling full-time since 2008 and um i live in an rv and i just travel the country doing this thing
1: Wow. 1994. I I didn't think you went that far back.
2: Yeah. Well, that was, that was when I set up at my first card show. That's what started this whole thing was baseball cards. And I had my first booth when I was 10. So technically that's when this whole thing started the reselling.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So before we get further, let's, let's share real quick. So on Instagram, you're son of a son of a seller. Yeah. You also have a website that you sell on. I do.
2: That's son of a son of a seller.com.
1: Okay. That's pretty easy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you sell on Instagram too.
2: Yeah, I, I'll i put stuff on my story. Um, you know, sometimes like the doing this out of an RV, I have, it's 34 feet long. So my space is limited and I haven't yet adjusted my buying habits to <laughs> the space I'm operating in. So sometimes I'll just buy way more t-shirts than I can do anything with. And you'll check my story and you'll be like, whoa, he's selling 200 t-shirts right now.
0: That's crazy.
2: So it's just, you know, it, I never know. Some days, I, sometimes I'll go a week without selling anything
0: and then you never know. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's super awesome. Now the name, son of a, son of a seller, where does that come yeah. from? Cause I, when I, when I was looking you up, kind of trying to figure some about you, cause I've watched just some of your, uh, some of your Instagrams, man, you're a funny guy. I want to talk about some <laughs> of the, some of the funny things you do, but um, I, 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 something else kept coming up like a song of son of a, son yeah. of a sailor, right? Is it, is it exactly, connected to that?
2: Yeah. It's a Jimmy Buffett song. And uh, I was raised on Jimmy Buffett's music by my parents. And uh, it's, you know, kind of a, I'm also a third generation reseller. My grandpa was a reseller. My dad was a reseller. I'm a reseller. And so I actually am yeah, a son of a son of a seller. And, um, just, it was a, you know, it came to me one day and I was like, well, that kind of just has to be it. It's, <laughs> it gets people. It's hard to, to say out loud if people have never heard the song, but you know, the ones that get it, get it. So it works for me. Yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. It's, it's, it's a, it's a super great name and it's crazy that it's like legitimate. So not only does it connect to a, a, a song, right. But like you're actually a third-generation reseller. And I don't know if there's yeah. a lot of people who can say that, right?
2: Yeah. Well, there weren't really... I mean, my grandpa and dad would never have you know, known the term reseller. They, my, my grandpa was a traveling salesman, and uh, he would just stop at every country flea market he could find. And uh, he actually had one leg, and he had a little rascal scooter that he had, he had rigged up, a, a wooden ramp to come out of his Astro van And wow. he would tool, tool around the flea markets, find something, and then go on to the next flea market and flip that item. Wow, and that's you know that was his side hustle. And dad had flea market booths in Little Rock where I grew up. Uh, he did more; he would buy freight damage furniture and rebuild it and sell it in his flea market. Um, so they they've you know they were different types of resellers, but you know reseller all the same.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And so when you were like growing up and you saw this, was that something that you were like, "This is this is what I want to do"? Like I, I enjoy this. I see what they're doing, and I love it. Honestly, it was
2: it's kind of funny. Like they were, my grandpa was just insistent that I collect something from, you know, from birth, basically. So there were, I got a train set when I was born and then it was coins and stamps. And in 1991, um, my dad was, my dad and I were at Sam's and I was like, I want some baseball cards. And, you know, he was like, well, let's, let's just try this. You got to collect something. Your grandpa's just going to keep sending stuff. So. So we got baseball. So he bought me some cards, and um, it just kind of started there. And um, I, I lost my train of thought, guys. So That's I,
1: good. We were we were asking you, did you find it to be something viable, like something you really wanted to yeah. do because you yeah. had seen your so, grandfather and your father do it?
2: Yeah. So um, basically, I had hated estate sales, which my dad dragged me to my entire life. But when the when he bought me that box of baseball cards, everything changed. I opened them up. I got a Nolan Ryan in like one of the first few packs. And that was the only one, of the only names I knew at the time. And I was just ecstatic. And so every estate sale, he, he used to drag me to a week before. Now I'm asking, you know, are they going to have cards? Are they going to have cards? And it just kind of developed from there. And, um, up until 2008, it was strictly baseball cards. And so it was easy to kind of, you know, see what they did and be like, Oh, I, I like the hustle, but you know, mine's totally different. And then in 08, things changed with the recession and everything. And so I tra- drastically pivoted.
1: Okay. So we're going to divert a little bit. I got a set cool, of we got some questions kind of, but what you just said, I finally find super interesting. First of all, I started collecting baseball cards around that time. That's when Griffey rookie cards were a big deal. And yeah, for sure. Remember, do you remember those? And, and oh, yeah. you had the Fleer and you had all these, and actually, somebody stole a bunch of my cards. But that's another story. Uh, mine too.
2: That Nolan Ryan Esfoka was stolen. Really?
1: Oh, oh that's <laughs> yeah. terrible. Okay, so you obviously have a background in baseball, and right yeah. now, and now I think Gary Vee is pushing this. He's, I think he's mm-hmm. controlling the market. I don't know if you've seen what he's been talking about. Yeah. But he's very big on cards. Now, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you came from knowing all cards, and now you might be hearing this. Where do you land on that?
2: Man. Cards are right now. Yes, the market is hot, and I think it's trending in a upward direction. And I don't know. I don't see an end in sight, really. So Gary V is. is, I'm I'm totally on board with him with that. Um, It's just you got to be careful. I mean, Andrew Luck retiring this past weekend is the perfect example. I know Mm -hmm. some people that are really good at this that are really smart guys, and you know they just had a lot of money tied up in Luck rookies, and the bottom just fell out. Mm -hmm. You know, with no warning. And I mean, you hate to see it, but it just happens. And so, the future is bright, and you can definitely make so make a lot of money going forward. But you just got to be cautious because you know it's it's not it doesn't always end well. I mean, for every you know Zion, hopefully we or you know let's say someone established like LeBron, there's also a Darko or you know someone who just was a total flop. And you know, you can hit big, and you can also lose your rear end. So. <laughs> I like cards. Uh, you know, it's one of my passions, but you've got to be careful and you got to know what you're doing.
0: So when it comes to, to, to selling cards like that, what do people typically do? Are they are they buying boxes of unopened like packs and they're like just filtering through and hoping to find like the great ones or are they? Well, in flipping? this day and age, I'm
2: sorry. Uh, in this day and age, it's honestly
0: cost prohibitive to actually buy your
2: own full box of cards anymore. Um, you know, back in the day in the nineties, the top end of a box of cards would cost you maybe 130, 140 bucks, really premium stuff, maybe 200. Now there's basically what, what you would call a box is one pack and you can spend upwards of, you know, two, $3,000 for that one pack. Mm, wow. So what a lot of people do is something called a case break. And what you'll do there is basically split up the interest, you know, to say that for figuring sake, let's say this, uh this box is $1,000 in the, you know, in the, in the store, um, a case breaker will take that box and split the interest up amongst, you know, say all 30 teams in the league and then divide that cost of the case 30 ways. And so I would buy the Chicago bulls and I would get every Chicago bull card that came out of that box case, whatever hmm. we're opening. But if there are none, you got nothing. Oof. So it's it, but that's, you know, if you want to these, when you see these people post about, you know, there's, these there's already Zion cards that are selling in the thousands. And there's some that by the end of this year, that'll be in the tens, if not, you know, maybe over a hundred grand.
1: Wow. Now, when we talk about Zion, I don't know if all of our audience knows, I know who Zion is, but explain real quick who Zion is. Uh, He's,
2: he's the next, uh, he's, he's the hype right now. He's a freshman out of Duke. Um, basically I, I, I shudder to use the phrase, but a lot of people like to compare him to LeBron. Um,
1: Now, was it the broken shoe that like, or was he already like, was his his card already valuable before then?
2: Well, honestly, his, his value was established when he was 14 years old. Okay. The kid has been a YouTube sensation. Um, He's, he really, he didn't need to go to college to to develop his game or for any notoriety. He went to Duke and and helped both of those, but he wound up, you know, basically in the same the same spot he would have been in if he had you know since if he had just played it out since he was 14 years old he can he's built like a, he's built like a linebacker and he can duck from the free throw line uh-huh. um i was actually at his first game uh, he played in the summer league here in vegas and uh I, I went to that and sold my i bought two tickets paid fifty dollars a piece for those tickets and sold one of those ticket stubs after the game for 60. wow, wow. so the hype is real on him and uh it's gonna be
1: real all year Dropping some major bolos on, yeah. on this
0: episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I would have honestly had no idea. I mean, I, I don't think I have any interest in the moment to to get into cards. Um, but, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of listeners who might be like, hey, this is something I'm interested in doing. And so, yeah, it's a great yeah. bolo. And, you know, it's weird, too. Um, I've only been reselling for like about a year and a half or so. And it's interesting because I didn't even know eBay was still a thing. Um, except for about eight or nine years ago, I I knew this guy who was obsessed with baseball cards and he always would buy them on eBay. So every time I was with him, his phone would be dinging and he'd be like in a bidding war with somebody over, (laughs) over a baseball card. And I was like, Oh, I guess people still do that. And I, I I was kind of shocked, but clearly it's, there's a market there.
2: Yeah. That's, that's what actually led me to eBay was I did the, like I said, I started setting up at card shows in the mid nineties and my, my dad was just a trooper, he would just wake up every Saturday morning and drive me with my tables and my cases and all my cards and would set me up and everything. And then they he and mom would leave for the day and I would just run the booth by myself. And I did that. I mean I did one at least one a month every every chance I got. Weren't a lot of opportunities in Little Rock, Arkansas at that point. But I did them I and I had a great time. And then like about ninety seven, ninety eight, they just the card show started drying up and just eBay became the only option for cards. Mm. And so I was more or less forced into it and really glad it worked out that way, I guess.
1: (laughs) So I want to hear the story of young Brad. Cause I, you know, when (laughs) when you're at shows, I'm just trading cards with my friends going, Hey, you got that rookie Ben McDonald, who doesn't even matter anymore. But at that time that was a good card. And you got this graffiti and got, do you have Will Clark? Do you have Jose Canseco? Like, But so I wanted to, okay, how did that look? You show up, are you one of the youngest people there or are there plenty of people your age? And, and how did they look like, were you willing and dealing all day? Yeah. I mean, I was, the thing was, I don't know why, like, I've never
2: been like a, I've never been like great with numbers or anything, but I could look at a Beckett price guide and memorize that thing from front to back. Mm. Just don't know. I mean, didn't take long, just skim it and it's in there. And I you know, there were kids at school that had a favorite player. And I might, you know, be able to know that their favorite player, you know, they, they've got a Jordan card. Their favorite player is Oliver Miller. You know, <laughs> it's not my fault that the Jordan card is worth 50 times what the Oliver Miller is. I'm going to trade you. And then, you know, then I've got a pile of them. And then I go to the show and I'm the youngest person by, you know, at this point, the card show dealer was 60, 65 years old on average. Wow. It's very, very much an old man's game i I'm the youngest person by 50 years. And so honestly, the novelty of being a kid selling did probably help me, but you know, I don't care. <laughs> um, it was, uh, it was just, it was, it was wheeling and dealing. It was, it wasn't ever huge money, but you know, it was a $2 Jordan, a $3 shack, you know, here and there all day long. And, when you're, you know, in fifth, sixth grade, you walk out of there with $300 in your pocket and you feel like you're the king of the world, so.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure it taught you like a ton of lessons, too, doing it that young. I mean, oh. I was about the same age, 11 or so, and I actually worked at a, a baseball and games like trading shop that sold baseball cards. I didn't know anything right. about baseball cards, but that was right when Pokemon was coming out. And mm-hmm. and so I was kind of the one helping wheeling and dealing the Pokemon cards. And yeah, it, it really does seem to, to teach you all. What do you think was like the number one thing you learned at that age doing that? <laughs>
2: to value my items and secure and secure them. The the most valuable card I had ever owned at that point got stolen right out from under my nose at a card show when I was in sixth mm. grade. And it's a Jordan that now is, I mean, it's a probably like $300 card, but it, at the time it was, it was just, you know, life changing for me. I pulled it that day, put it in my display case and was just, you know, I was a kid. I was, I was literally a kid in a candy store at card shops. I mean, at card shows, it was, Make twenty dollars, go buy twenty dollars worth of packs. It was just you know, and I was running around not paying attention. I asked the guy next to me to watch my booth. I came back, and my new Jordan card was gone. Oh. And you know, it was just one of those things. was an early lesson to be like, wow, well, you can't really trust anybody. You know, you need to just be more responsible and take care of your business.
1: Interesting. So, that's a, that's a know, great the, lesson. the
2: early lessons were was painful, but you know, you got to learn them at some point.
1: But that—that's—that's that's end of the world status when you're a kid. Oh, <laughs> like, dude. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> like you can't think past the next day when that happens. Oh no!
2: And you know, I mean, I, I you know give my parents a sob story. My dad's like, "What do you want me to do about it?" You know, you, you pay more attention. That case locks. I know it does. <laughs>
1: wow. All right. That, I feel like we could talk forever, Brad. So, because you have such a rich history. I mean, we're we're only talking about you being a kid, and we're super interested now. <laughs> So let's do a little bit of shift. So eventually we'll get right. into like the business details, but so tell me about eBay. Like I know a little bit about eBay in the nineties. Cause I had a roommate who was selling in 1999 and I didn't, I didn't do it. I don't know why I didn't do it. I just thought, <laughs> I just think, I thought he, I hated going to their stores in downtown Chicago. It was miserable. So how did that shift happen? You started doing baseball cards. It wasn't, you had to scan the cards in there. You had to, everything was auction. They were the easiest thing to list
2: on eBay at the time. Okay. It was, I mean, photography, it, I take it for granted now. I, earlier, I was complaining when it took maybe 15 seconds to upload my 12 pictures, for my item. And then I think back to when I was a kid, if I wanted to sell anything that wasn't a card, I had to take a picture of it in my one megapixel camera, take out the memory card, put it into a floppy disk, a kind of floppy disk converter thing, put it in the computer, and then get my one megapixel picture up to upload in 10 or 12 minutes. And it was just a massive pain in the butt, but cards you could throw on a flatbed scanner and bang them out real quick. And so it was just an easy thing to get into early that I just happened to know well. And so it just kind of gelled and worked out that way for me where I was in the right place at the right time.
1: Okay. That is, I know I'm telling you that because I remember my friend who did suits and he did pants in 1999 and, Oh, oh, it was miserable. (laughs) I remember he would take (laughs) pictures. Then he had to scan some pictures. He had the paper picture, right? Yeah, he had the paper picture, and you probably dealt with money orders and checks and money and envelopes.
2: I'd I'd take those back right now. Really? There was nothing better than coming home to just a just a mailbox full of cash, man. I mean, sometimes (laughs) it was literally cash. I mean, if it was a five six dollar card, people just mail you five or six bucks. It was obviously security and everything. You can't do that, and with all the guarantees eBay gives now, but. It, the, the nostalgia, I mean, does love because you know I was like yeah, you know, I was a kid, in high school at that point, coming home and just pulling a stack of envelopes out of the out of the mailbox, and it's just money. It's 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 almost like you know you love the ching now, but like there's something more tangible about actually holding it in your hand, cash, time.
1: yeah, yeah, the coins chinging in your envelope. <laughs> yeah. So all right, so tell me a little bit. All right, so '08 is when you went full time. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. That's, that's when I graduated college okay. and it was a really bad time to do that. Okay. <laughs> so you graduated
1: from college. So what was, if you yeah. don't mind me asking, what was your background in? Uh, history,
2: I have a history, history major, political science minor.
1: Oh, Hey, I'm a history guy uh, too. So awesome. Nice. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. it was,
1: and we cool both it. don't do anything with them right now. So. No,
2: I mean, every time I like <laughs> loosely use mine, I feel, I, I try to put a value on it. It's, it's never going to be caught up to what I paid. But.
1: <laughs> no, I get it. So you went full time during a recession. Is that correct? Yeah, so that talk correct. to me how. It's cuz that's a question Mike and I always bring up on the podcast. Yeah,
0: and a lot of our listeners too. A lot of our listeners are, are newer resellers. Um, not all yeah. of them. We have a lot of, you know, expert resellers been doing it for a long time. But, you know, if you're if you're thinking a, re, a recession might come eventually down the road, who knows when, but there's kind of the fear of like what does it look like? What does reselling look like during that time?
2: Well, the thing is, it's there's never in my opinion there's never a bad time to resell. You just have to understand what the market is and adjust. And that's, and also, you know, people can say that in a recession, reselling will numbers will go down in certain areas they will. But if you find a Babe Ruth autograph at a yard sale next week, you're, you're still going to be pretty pleased with it. You know, even if, even if the, the, the economy is just tanked. So it's, it's things like, you know, what I learned at the, in that end, that, that point in time was precious metals, silver went through the freaking roof. Mm. I mean, it got up to, I think I, there's, there's people that know way more about this than I do, but I want to say it was like 41, $42 an ounce. And I haven't looked at it recently, but it's in the teens somewhere Mm. right now. And, you know, when you find a sterling silver spoon, now you found, you know, 10, 15 bucks, but that same spoon in a recession is worth triple, you know? Mm. And so it's, it's just different, you know, there's different things. I I got lucky enough in the recession, (laughs) I was at an estate sale and there was a cigar box that lo- I mean, it was silver in color. And to me, it just looked right. And it had, it didn't have any, you know, it didn't say 925 or anything. It just had a bunch of hallmarks on it. It had $80 on it. And at the time, that was, that was a pretty big investment for me. And I, I gave it the smell test, which my dad had always said, you can smell Sterling. And so I gave it a smell and it just smelled kind of right. So I bought it, took it to, the, to an antique dealer I knew in Little Rock. And sure enough, it was Sterling and it weighed four pounds. Ooh, when, nice. when Sterling is at, I think it was like $36 an ounce at this point. Wow. And so we did the math and it wound up being, you know, just to scrap it, it was going to be worth, you know, a couple thousand dollars. And nice. obviously sold it for more than that. But it's just, you know, things like that, that that was that had collectible value anyway. But if you do the math on the, the weight of that, and the recession, and everything, the recession is a good is a good is a good example in that case.
1: So you shifted and you know, you baseball cards, obviously, would you say they tanked once a recession hit? I,
2: no, I mean, that, no. honestly, what I, that, really the recession and me just branching out more or less, what, really what happened, I, I can tell you, the, there was one day, a guy named Frank that I, I've been selling baseball cards to since I was in fifth grade. Um, shout out, Frank. Hope you watch this. Um, he is, he's always, when I would buy, I would buy boxes and boxes and boxes of cards when I was a kid and, or trade them. And I had this bulk left over because I'm only wanting the top end stuff. Frank wanted everything. So I would, take, I would sell Frank 10, 20, 30,000 cards at a time. And in 2006, I uh, moved back to Little Rock. And um, I started in 2007 and was you know, told Frank I was in town. So he was like, Got any cards? I like, yeah, I got 50,000 actually. So I took him over to his house and he's got like stuff other than cards laying around. I'm like, what's going on here, man? You got like fishing lures. He's like, Yeah, I've started selling other stuff on eBay. He's like, You ever thought about it? And I was like, Honestly, no. I've been selling on eBay for eight years. And the thought of selling something other than sports memorabilia never crossed my mind. Hmm. (laughs) And so he's like, here's what I do. I just buy it. I put it on eBay for what I paid plus the shipping cost. And we just see what happens. I put it up for an auction. And so I went to an estate sale with my dad the next week. And, you know, there was a Zorro, a Disney Zorro cape costume from the 50s still in the package. And this is before, you know, this is before the iPhone or before I had one. Yeah. And so they had like 40 bucks on it. I was like, let's just give it a shot. And I took it home, put it up for an auction and it sold for like $260 something. And at that point I was hooked, you know? And so got an iPhone and then just realized that if you can, you know, if you have that resource in your hand, you can, you can sell anything. And if it's a, you know, and go back to the recession, if it's a recession and you find a case of, you know, LED light bulbs and they retail for $11 a piece and you know, you can, somebody can save a dollar buying them from you in a recession. They're going to do that. Mm. They may not, you know, when times are good, but people will pinch that penny where they can. And you just got to figure out, you know, it's there, it's, it's everywhere out there. You just got to know where to look for it in those times.
1: So what you would say, and again, I'm not trying to put everything on you, but a consistent thing we're hearing, we talked to Pete, the Craigslist center. He had talked to us about recession Uh, I had talked through DMs with Cindy from an amazing taxi store who also did well during the recession. Recession is still a place where resellers can still do well, is what I'm hearing. Oh,
2: Oh, absolutely. If you have, I mean, the harsh reality of a recession is people need money. And if you have the money to buy collections, you know, to buy out of states, it happens. You know, it's, they have people come up in those situations where they have to, they've got to just come up with a lot of money. And, you know, there'll be more estate sales. There'll be, you know, more, you know, yeah, your good with fewer things might get donated to your goodwills and whatnot, but those are, those items are getting sold. They're going to show up in other places. And, you know, it's, it's just a matter of knowing exactly what to do in that time. Like I said, kind of, um, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you went from just selling like baseball cards, sports memorabilia, and you're branching out to other things. What is your what does it look like now? What's your, your method now?
2: <laughs> well, now it depends on where I am. Uh, let's say the, the, perfect, the perfect scenario is when I'm actually on the road. Like when I'm say I'm driving from Dallas to Las, to Las Vegas, I'm going to stop at every Walmart between Dallas and Las Vegas. I don't care what time it is. I don't care how long it's going to take. I don't care how bad the weather is. I'm walking into every one. I'm going to go to every clearance aisle. And I'm going to just, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to scan every item on the clearance aisle, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it a good look. And any item that has, that I think would sell easily, or, you know, if you see something that's, you know, a Lego set that's a hundred, that's marked down to 10 bucks, everybody knows to buy that. But, you know, you might see a, actually, uh, Orlando, you, I think you posted the, uh, the collapsible cups. Oh yeah. That you found. You know, you might see those at, and it might, the tag on there, at, uh, on the hang tag, might say whatever the original retail was, fifteen or whatever. But the yellow tag, the price has, doesn't look any different. When well, you pick that item up and scan it in your Walmart app, and it might be marked down to three dollars. They just haven't updated the tag. And so it doesn't always happen. But if you repeat that process at every Walmart you pass, you're gonna, I'm gonna, I, that keeps me going. Every like that, that pays for the venture. Wow. At all times, and then. If it's during, you know, normal business hours, I'll stop at every thrift store too and source, you know, everything from clothing to collectibles to electronics. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at a, a, an RC car that's only half there (laughs) that I bought at a, that I bought at a a Goodwill last week that I sold today to a buddy that, you know, it's just now I will source absolutely anything. And that's what, that's the one thing I learned in the recession was like, it doesn't matter, you know, cards are what I liked, but making money is what I needed to do. So.
0: Yeah I mean this is this is amazing the fact that you you're literally traveling place to place in the RV you live in the RV you're picking mm-hmm. stuff up along the way like I don't know of many other people who do that is there a, like that of that you know a big community of people who are 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 traveling like that doing the reselling
2: not that I know of um I well there's a lot of folks that do there's a lot of people that travel a lot more than I do I'm the only one I know that does it in the in the RV like this I know a couple that does it um they they I haven't heard from them in a while actually um uh, but There's a, there's a lot of people that do just Amazon FBA. And for those who aren't familiar, that's where, you know, you send it into Amazon's warehouse. They, they store it, they ship it out. And a lot of those folks will travel, you know, more than I do, but not with an RV. They just hop in the car or the SUV or the van. And they literally, you know, what I I do at Walmart, they'll take it out in the parking lot, box it up and take it to FedEx and ship it out right then. And so there's a lot of folks that do travel. um, But as far as I know, I'm one of the only, only ones that does it in this RV
1: in an RV. That's so, amazing. It made me laugh a little bit when Mike asked that question, because you had a post when, you know, people ask you, what do you sell? And we get that question <laughs> all the time too. And I, I sometimes don't know how to answer it. It's kind of like, yeah. well, I sell old shoes, some Harley stuff, you know, today I, what did I sell today? I sold, yeah, Harley boots. And I, you know, you saw all these kind of random things that, you know, collapsible cups, whatever yeah. you can find. But you, I find that even though you do so, whatever, you do have certain niches that you do real well. Like, I look at your posters in the back, right? Your Guns N' Roses in the back. I see, yeah. I think this, but I don't know. What What do you have back there a little bit? Tell, tell us a little uh, bit.
2: We've got some, uh, we've got Michael Jackson, Pepsi, we've got GNR, uh, we've got a little Rugrats sheet here. <laughs> nice. um, Budweiser, um, this back here is a Budweiser, uh, I think it's beach volleyball or surfing tournament poster from 92. Nice. Uh, oh. Just, you know. And it's a perfect example. Like this was the, these were one day at a, at a flea market. That was goodwill. The sheet was, uh, I honestly have no idea, but <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's random stuff that like these posters and whatnot, like I normally wouldn't mess with them, but I gave such a, just comically low amount for the whole collection. The guy just wanted it gone, So that's when I was, I'll take it. And you know, but the stuff like the sheets, like there's a, there's, I know a guy that makes clothing out of this, out of sheets. So, wow. you know, there's, there's a market for, darn near everything if you know the right people.
1: Wow. Okay. And, and I love the fact you, you basically are reliving the nineties right now. A oh, absolutely. I see your IG stories. You got a little home improvement. Sometimes I'm saved by the bell playing some old oh, Disney yeah. classics. Uh, and then you, you know, the stuff that you source, like I look at that stuff and I go, I wish I had all that at one time. <laughs> and sometimes I want to get to your fire sales, but I I'm always like, five minutes behind or eight hours later I'm like oh <laughs> it already sold so tell us a little bit okay you transitioned to the RV full-time what led you to that and what is what are some of the best parts and and I know you got plenty of worse parts to share but what are some yeah. of the bad parts of it
2: um so well, let's start first I'll, with
1: what led you to that
2: well th- the thing was, I had warehouses before I did the RV thing. I, not, not, not at the same time. I had, I have, I had two warehouses. I, I lived in Kentucky for ten years, and um, I really got too comfortable, you know, in my warehouse. Just the first one was five thousand square feet. The next one was about three thousand, and they were just giant storage units. I would, you know, the way I source now, I did it even worse back then as far as, you know, just very little restraint and I'll figure it out later. I can make money. And so I would just fill that thing up. And like, I don't know if y'all are following me when I moved out of that
1: last warehouse. I remember that. I remember the night you got locked out of your storage. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It it was (laughs) locked into my storage. Locked into your storage. That's right.
1: That's right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I realized, I looked up one day and I was like, man, everything in this, in this, you know, entire building that is listed could fit on that bookshelf. And I'm paying, you know, $750 a month for rent on the place. And then internet's another hundred, and then lights and everything else. And then a factory in my apartment and everything. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I'm spending almost two grand a month, you know, and just have not it's all rented, you know, it's not nothing to show for it. And this office is actually a curse. So let's, you know, think about some other options. And I just, you know, was doing a lot with FBA at the time, Amazon FBA, and was like, if I just really make that everything I sell on Amazon, absolutely everything goes there. That makes this very possible in a small space. And I had uh, grown up; my 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 grandparents had a motorhome when I was a little kid, which actually, sorry mom. Um, <laughs> somehow my parents let me get behind the wheel of when I was like three, unattended, and I got wow. I, I somehow got it into neutral and it rolled into the uh, garage. So yeah, you know, my mom, my parents were good parents. Little slip up there, but so motorhomes and RVs has always been a part of my life, and uh, I just started looking online. I was like, man, for what I spend in like four months, five months of rent, I can buy an RV, and so I just bought a, you know, got a pickup truck and bought a fit, bought a cheap fifth wheel and uh, moved in. And I moved into it when I still had my my warehouse. And so I gave myself time to adjust to living in a tiny box before I was just inundated with my inventory. And so did that for a year. And then Orlando, Orlando, that's when you, uh, you know, started, I think that's about when you started following me was when I had Mm -hmm. the storage units and, um, had, I I had three storage units that I had, had to just put stuff in. When I got out of the office, there was a little overlap there when I thought I'd be leaving town, but I just didn't, I just didn't, you know, get rid of enough stuff in time. So I had to put it in storage rather than just leave. So I got stuck in Louisville for three months. And by the time the RV left town, it was just me and all my inventory in that RV. And um, it was at first overwhelming. But now I've got something of a system I don't ever claim to be organized. I don't want anyone to think that. I think everybody knows that if they see my Instagram. But I've got enough of the system worked out that I can operate. And uh, if, it was, if it was you know, a lot of full-time travelers, it's a family. I don't know how you could do that it's just me and it works, you know, the way I had it set up. So it was a transition that was, it took a long time and a lot of work, but once I got it done now, it's just, I, you know, I was in a house the other day and it felt weird almost, you know, it's like these walls and everything, this house isn't going to move. It's kind of crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's awesome. And and so do you do mostly like RV parks or do you do some boondocking? Um, I,
1: Can can we, can we define boondocking? I have no idea what Mike just asked. All
2: right. Well, by the way, Mike, I need to hear more about your fifth (laughs) wheel. Um, uh, Boondocking is when you're off, you're basically not plugged in. You're, you're just out there using your own resources, whether it be, um, you know, solar or a generator. Okay. Um, The only time I boondock is in a Walmart parking lot. Um, That's then that's another part of the, when I'm on the road is I generally don't stay in RV parks. I generally stay in a Walmart parking lot because The manager is usually cool with it and I am so tired. It's probably not a safe, safe idea to drive anymore. Cause I've, you know, I'll I'll be like, ah, one last Walmart, let's check it out. And then I go in there, it's two in the morning and I look up and I've been scanning stuff for three hours and I'm dead tired. And so that's when I boondock is it's not the most glamorous. Um, but other than that I am in an RV park because I just need all the, I need the internet, I need the electric. Um, and it's just a, my RV, is basically, I try to church it up, but it is what it is. My RV is not really capable of going off the grid and maintaining itself. Uh, I don't have solar. My generator really wouldn't do much for me as far as AC goes. So, generally, I'm plugged in, and you know, treating it like a retiree, basically.
1: <laughs> so, would you say the hardest part is not being able to be plugged in somewhere, or I mean, to be self-sufficient, or what, what is, what's been one of the most difficult, I would say, obstacles? While I mean you've been doing this
2: the, I mean if, if you follow me on Instagram, you, you know that I've had some truck problems recently yeah. uh, when I, had, I have a fifth wheel that I pull with my pickup, and it's it's a great life I love it um, but when something goes wrong with that truck, you've got a major situation and it was just last month i was I was supposed to be supposed to be heading to San Diego and we, uh, I was just going out to dinner one night and truck just shows you know starts doing the computer crazy messages tell me everything's wrong and got it in the shop and long story short, it was $1,500 to repair it. Yeah. And it was not just that it was going to take so long that I was supposed to be out of the uh, RV park that I was in within before the truck was going to be ready. Oh. So I had no choice, but to extend my stay, which cost me another $500. And so, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, people, you, my truck, you know, that truck problem would, would happen happened regardless, but then it's the extra $500 that you have to spend because of it, just to have somewhere to stay that you know those are little hiccups that suck but at the same time i mean i'm sitting in las vegas right now and i'm going to california in a few weeks and so when it happens i i'm i'm upset for a little while but i get over it pretty quickly and there's nothing about this life that really i would say has been you know a, a big letdown a lot of folks will you ask me you know do not get lonely but i mean what are we doing right now you know i mean and like if you follow my instagram i, I interact a lot through that and it's just you know, it's it's a different life than people envision it. I think I think a lot of people, Mike, you can probably identify with this. I think a lot of people envision it as camping in the fifties. You know, it's just I'm out there with a you know a can of beans over a, over an open <laughs> flame and you know using an outhouse, and it's just not really how it is. It's you know, it's it's pretty modern, and you know, I enjoy it.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. So you you're clearly doing a lot of traveling. Have you been in all of the the continental? oh no
2: no no this is actually why i'm doing this because i actually for the longest time pretty much never left the southeast i grew up in arkansas lived in kentucky for 10 years and uh, went to disney world a ton as a kid and that's pretty much been my entire existence that triangle you can draw between those those three right there and um it just was one of those things my dad passed away and that was another factor in the uh, getting rid of the warehouse and all that was like life's too short you know like i just want to I'd never been further West than San Antonio, Texas until this February.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just, you know, like I gotta, you know, do something. And that was, you know, that loops back to the YRV thing. But, um, it was just kind of one of those, like, I need to go see it. And I really have only done, I left little rock in February, went went to Dallas for a few weeks, um, and then got to Las Vegas and have pretty much been here ever since, but, um, went to, went to California for a few weeks, but, Yeah. The next, next stop is uh, San Diego. And then I'm going to work my way up the coast of California and just try to avoid cold weather at all costs. It's pretty much my only real criteria.
1: Nice. Nice. Well, we're looking forward to you coming to San Diego. Yeah.
2: We'll
0: have
1: to get together. That'll be awesome. We'll we'll take you to some spots and uh, some good food. And I appreciate
2: uh, that. Yeah. Local food, man. That's, that's one thing that does suck about life on the road actually is like being totally dependent on Yelp reviews. It's uh, like, Oh, uh, I need, I wish I just knew one person to tell me where to eat here. Yeah,
0: yeah no, that's, that's pretty cool. So, so two questions. And since you've, you've been doing something quite a bit of traveling recently, um, yeah. what has been your favorite place? Like just personally to be, and then where have you found that maybe is most conducive for reselling? Like the prices are really good or it just seems to be like, there's lots of inventory and not well, a lot you have of to be careful on
1: that one there. <laughs> I mean,
2: honestly, Las Vegas has been great um just because there's such a volume there's a lot there are a lot of resellers here that there's just such a volume that comes through this town of people that are you know coming and going and you just if you are willing to go to the bins a goodwill a mom and pop thrift if you're willing to go all day and stand there you're going to make money and you know that may be common sense to a lot of people but i've lived in places where it doesn't matter what you do you can go stand in that goodwill for three days and you're not going to make money mm-hmm. you know after that first initial wave where you cleared out the good stuff and so i like i enjoy las vegas la is great i mean it's just you know people are like the bins are crazy and there's a ton of competition there is but it's la there is so much out there and it's just you know i've i've only done i did three weeks there and it's just every type of sourcing you can imagine and there's you know there's you i was in i was i, I don't remember the name of the local place so i'd give a plug if i could, but you know, they had a bunch of uh, women's clothing coming out on racks and people are going nuts over it. And I, you know, poked through it and didn't, don't know much. So moved on to what I know, I go to the DVDs and they used a the date code on all their DVDs. And I bought complete series of like four or five series that, you know, sell pretty easily in the, when you think about DVDs for, you know, five, 10 bucks. I sold them all for 30, 40 and they've been sitting there for two weeks.
1: Wow. Huh.
2: And, and so, you know, it's, Yeah, there's places that like, you know, if somebody says, you know, it's hard to find high end fashion in L.A. at a thrift store, that's probably true. But if you know to go look at every DVD, there's money everywhere and it's just you got to know where to find it. So it's there's really any population base. I mean, Dallas, you know, Houston, wherever, it doesn't matter. Any population base is going to have the stuff if you just are willing to put the put the work in. So really, it's six, one, half a dozen the other as long as you're around enough of it.
1: So. And going back to you talk about high end fashion, let's talk about '90s fashion for a little bit. So, you're, well, my niche. <laughs> huh? No, well, you're you're one of the few people I watch on Instagram that really knows their '90s fashion. Like I know my '90s fashion because because I grew up in the '90s. So yeah, you know I'll notice a cross colors or I'll notice a guest pair of jeans or you know some of the older stuff. So are you in a place now? Are you able to f- do you find number one that that market is so strong and do you find that it's easier to find or it's getting more difficult to find now?
2: um well the market is definitely strong it's it's definitely more difficult too i mean but at the same time like it's 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 just a it's a repetition thing and if you are digging through the bins every day and i i mean i just have the advantage of being born in 1983 which i have a whole theory on how that's absolutely like one of the the best like 18 months you could possibly be born like (laughs) we're not we're not scared of computers or people it's kind of great um so so like it just is one of those things that like, I, um, I derailed again. Sorry, guys.
1: It's okay. No, no. I was asking you, do you find it that you said the market was still strong, which was one of the first questions. The next question was, are you finding it it's more difficult to source? But you're saying, no, as long as you're consistent, oh, you'll yeah. land upon it.
2: Yeah. As long as you're looking and you know what you're looking for, you're fine. I mean, everyone knows to buy this shirt. I mean, this is a, a Rolling Stones 94 Voodoo Lounge. Uh, my mom actually bought this at the show. Wow. they, uh, they oh, wow. This was one of the first concerts I went to. They played Little Rock at War Memorial Stadium, and um, it's just one of those things. That, like everyone knows to buy this, but if you know, like I found a Fruitopia shirt recently <laughs> that a lot of people would you know blow right by. But if you you know Orlando, that that, that you just thought of 1995, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I did.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those things that like you know it's not they're not, they're not huge money, but if you get it for two dollars and you sell it for ten or twelve, it adds up quick and. I like I said, you know, like you brought a home improvement. The perfect example is I just sold a home a home improvement shirt that someone didn't know what it was. It had said it was a it had a, a Benford Tools belt like a drawn, a, oh, you nice. know, a, a screen printed on it, but it didn't say home improvement anywhere. It just said Benford Tools. So I was just you know bored on eBay one day searching Benford Tools, and it popped up auction style, and you know they didn't have home improvement, so no one knew to look for it. I wound up getting it for five dollars. Wow, and it's just you know. One of those things that like yeah i can capitalize on knowing the random stuff like that and then right now so i'm going to do it as much as i can and i don't know how how long it'll la- it'll last but right now i'm enjoying the heck out of it cuz you know like like that little chuckle you had there when i said Fruitopia i have that same one every time i find a shirt like that so you know it's it's fun and i'm making money and you know i like it
0: we wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode <laughs>
1: No, I get it. Okay. So I'm really interested because I feel that I'm very similar to you. Organization isn't my uh, forte. Uh, I like 90s gear. Uh, there's there's a part of me that kind of, I like picking up whatever. There's some things I really, like I, I was telling Mike before we interviewed that we have halls, but some of our halls are kind of like, okay, we're going to make money hauls, but we don't like enjoy the hall, right? Yours yep. are consistently items that I go Oh, man, I would have a hard time letting go of those items. Now, <laughs> my question is, you land upon a lot of stuff. So what does a week, like, do you have a consistent, like, hey, these days I do this, these days I ship out? I, I mean, what's what's a week look like for you, Brad?
2: I mean, honestly, Monday is just nothing but shipping, which I think is a lot of resellers can identify with. Okay. Um, I Today was different. I, I shipped out a bulk order. Uh, Might have seen that on my story. Yep. Uh, it was... Three hundred pounds of T-shirts and hats (laughs) and jackets and stuff, and so that you know, had freight had FedEx freight had to come and get that. So today was literally nothing but shipping, which I'm I'm done with everything that has to go out today. It's already at the post office, which is good because it's seven (laughs) fifty two. But this there's still fourteen items that need to go out that will have to get done after this tonight. And wow, so generally about Tuesday is really when I'm starting to I'll I'll list a few things tonight because I like to list. You know, Orlando, you did too. Like, you know, just get something in there mm-hmm. to keep to keep them aware of you. And so I like to, you know, I might throw one thing up before I go to bed tonight. But then tomorrow, Tuesday is really the high gear listing day. Um, Wednesday is generally listing. And then from Thursday on, it's just mayhem of sourcing my
0: face off pretty much. <laughs> now, what do you do with all the stuff that you source? Like, how do you, how do you store it? How do you keep it? What does that look like?
2: Well, the, anything that goes to Amazon goes, gets, gets boxed up and goes to their warehouse pretty much immediately um it's just a matter of getting it getting it accumulated enough to where i have enough enough skews to put in a box to justify the, the shipping cost and their shipping cost is so cheap because mm-hmm. i mean i get their rate when i ship to them so with ups you know a 50 pound box to their la you know warehouse would cost me eight or ten dollars from las vegas yep. and so it's really easy you know i can i can not say source with abandon, but I can be, you know, I can load up on a lot of stuff and not worry about the RV in that respect. So that's the first thing is Amazon's out the door. And then it's basically, I'm just going in size order, (laughs) trying to get the big stuff gone first. And, um, that's why, you know, I've got just boxes full of lapel pins and cards and smalls that are easier for me to put aside and deal with later when I've got a, a riding pony that I need to get rid of first.
1: So if you were to do percentages, what what would you say? Instagram, eBay, Amazon. Now, I know at one point you're looking to branch out to another platform. Did that, did that happen? Are you on polish uh, or Mercari? I,
2: I signed up for an Etsy shop. Um, okay. I haven't given it. You know, I'm, I threw a few items in there, but it's one of those. I, I don't think that you, you're going to sign up for any platform and just throw a few items up there and have success without trying. And so I haven't really put the effort in there yet. Um it's for me. It's mostly eBay right now. Um, it's just the nature of getting getting my money back in in play quickly. Um, Amazon, there's that delay of two weeks, and so I can sort. You know, sourcing Amazon is great, but I know when I sell that item, it's two weeks before that money comes back. And so right now, for me, it's more of a keeping the cash flow going. Because I mean, with the, like you've seen with this, you know, RV life, sometimes it's, you know, you got to come up with, you know, a couple grand pretty quick. And if all my money's tied up in Amazon stuff, I'm, you know, up a creek without a paddle, but, you know, I can get on eBay and just hammer it out. And that's, that's my security blanket really is, is eBay. So that's probably right now, 70% of it.
0: Huh. Now, are you doing uh, auction or are you doing buy it now and like holding on to items?
2: Generally buy it now. Um... I'll do auctions. If it's something that I just know, will, you know, like if it's, if I come across a nice lot of Nintendo 64 games, something that like, it doesn't matter. You can start them at 99 cents and just let it, let it roll. You're going to get top dollar stuff like that. I'll do, but generally it's buy it now. Um, I just don't trust auctions anymore for most things. You know, you can't, you have to protect yourself and I'm about to be done with taking best offers also really. It's, uh, it's uh, until this managed payment thing comes in, I've I'm, I'm sitting here looking at five items awaiting payment and Ugh. it's, it's every day. So really buy it now with no best offer is probably what, by the time this comes out, probably what I'll be doing 90% of.
1: You know what? I'm, I'm landing there too. Cause I, now it did say Brad that within it's going to be 12 to 18 months, but once managed payments is finally done, that all should end. That That's our hope.
2: Yeah. That's, that is the one thing I'm hanging on to about managed payments. You know, I'm not a fan. I, right now, I'm not a fan of what I've heard about it. Um, but it's, that's the one thing that will be glorious. is <laughs> Like no longer have to deal with, well, it's a good offer, but, you know, am I going to get paid? And you can't look at their feedback. I mean, some of these items awaiting payment, their feedback score is 15, 1600. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just nothing you can do about it. So that will be, when, if and when that happens, I will be grateful forever for that one.
1: Let's hope so soon. All right. So, you know, you go on your Instagram and there's so many, I mean, first of all, if you're not following son of a son of a seller, you need to follow him on Instagram. (laughs) I mean, not only does he have great hauls, he has great stories. uh, He has a lot of info that he's dropping. You're also, you also have another IG account, right? The rambling reseller.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a little store I started up. Um, That's where I'm going to, I'm going to start posting just individual t-shirts for sale on there. Um, It's just, I do on my on my main on Son of a Son of a Seller, that's gonna be more fire sales. Um just when I'm, you know, really I did one the other day, I was just frustrated, I had a big pile of stuff, got sick of moving it moving it, so I just sold it. And um on Did if, that if stuff sell pretty
1: it, fast, Brad?
2: When you say do what? a fire
1: sale, do you sell does it sell pretty fast?
2: It depends. I mean, sometimes it I did one, you know, last year that was a couple hundred pieces. Most of it was eighties rock rock, you know, rock bands, tours, um, a lot of advertising stuff and that one, it was within seconds. I mean, huh. the, you know, just, I didn't even finish the video people. The, the, the guy that bought it just knew what he was getting and he just pulled the trigger. Um, so, and then sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, it's, but you know, it's, that's the beauty of Instagram. It costs nothing to try. And, you know, I've got this audience let's throw it up there. And, you know, if someone has, you know, more room, more time than I do, it can work out for them. Or, you know, maybe I'm just too high. They can make me an offer or, you know, just let it go. It doesn't, you know, it's, that's the beauty of it. Is there's no hurt feelings. There's no cost. It's just a free resource to to give a shot to. And the uh, other account is gonna be more geared towards individuals because I have so many people message me and be like, "Hey man, I love this shirt or that shirt out of this fire sale." So I'm gonna try to start offering more individual sales over on that other page, Rambling Reseller.
1: Okay. Now, have you ever been burned on Instagram? Because you know the, you have seller protection through PayPal, I think. But yeah. outside of that, that's pretty much it. Correct.
2: Yeah, I, I've never been burned. I mean, I've had people, you know, claim things and say, you know, I'm good for it, and then sitting there two days later, not, you know, mm. haven't paid. But nothing I've never had anyone, you know, defraud me. But at the same time, I've been doing this for so long and I've been so skeptical about, you know, going back to my, my Michael Jordan card in ninety-six being stolen. Yeah. I've been watching my back ever since. And it's it's really hard to pull one over on me. And so if and you just know if you use your PayPal protection and they're smart about it. You know, and also this community, you, there's recent you know you can use referrals. I mean, you see who who follows who and just talk to people. And if it's something you don't feel good about, look into it. you know, and then there's there's i'm I'm yet to have any bad examples really. so i can't I can't say anything bad about it.
0: It's pretty awesome. And, and one thing that I, that kind of what I think with Instagram is I see a lot of people who started Instagram with the intent of just selling on it, right. and it doesn't seem like they have a lot of success if they don't already have a following, if they don't already have built up something. And I think that's one thing that you do is, is you're providing like information, you're providing content, you're, you're adding to the community. Um, like I said, your, your Insta stories are hilarious. Whenever I watch them, I just like crack up laughing. The the, <laughs> the most recent one with the, with the, uh, like the soap, not being at the RV park, like oh, that's just dude, hilarious.
2: We're on, we're on week two of, of no soap at the RV park. <laughs> Man, and it's terrible. I mean, it's, 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 if it wasn't like where I had to live right now, I would like call the health department. But I mean, you know, got no choice really.
0: But but yeah. So I mean, like people following you are, are they're getting lots of content. They're getting lots of information. They're getting good laughs. Um, and I think, would you say like doing that for a long time has allowed you to make these types of sales? And what would your advice be to somebody who has the idea or the intention of, I want to just sell on Instagram. What What advice would you give them to like build up their platform? I...
2: Honestly, I didn't sell on Instagram for the longest time. I just did it as just a I'd always kind of posted my stuff on Facebook, you know, if I found like I found a Ruth card back in like 2010 or so and I put that on Facebook, you know, big stuff like that, but my day to day I wasn't really sharing and my friends would, you know, come by the warehouse and they'd be like this is really cool, man. You should like do it, So do something about this, you know, share it and I just kind of started this account and started just sharing my goodwill trips and my dumpster dives. And, you know, people were just, I guess, you know, kind of the word spread. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't still hasn't blown up in my opinion, but you know, it's just, you know, people said, you know, follow this guy. And after a while, really, I started selling out of necessity when I moved out of that warehouse, it was just like, stuff's got to go in bulk. So I figured, you know, I mean, I've, when you do, when you do enough volume with FedEx, they'll help you out on the ship on, on shipping big stuff. So I just started selling a lot of boxes of, you know, I called them fire sales and just uh, just kind of went about it that way. And it just was a natural progression that I didn't really have a plan for anything. And, you know, it's still not a, it's still a small part of what I do, but it's, it's more, it's, it's fun. It's more interactive. And even if somebody doesn't buy the shirt, you know, if they say, Oh, yo, I remember that, you know, like I had that shirt, you know, it's, 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 it's just a, it's just a, I get something out of it either way really, I guess.
1: So you've had, Plenty of hauls. You had like, I remember one time you had the Star Wars toys, you had ET toys, you've had, I mean, you've had all kinds of stuff. Now you have stories on your Instagram, like you, one time where I can tell why you're not happy with auction houses. You had a Babe Ruth card that didn't go, <laughs> I, I don't mean to bring up bad items or you had a basketball uh, that you sold. So you got, you have you've had a ton of really awesome items. So what would you say your top three things that you sold that you really enjoyed selling, or maybe they sold for less than you wanted, but you, you're so kind of, it's memorable that you came across it.
2: Well, the first thing is I got over having to collect things in like the nineties. Okay. You know, like it got to like after, you know, when I'm in like middle school and I get this Jordan card, that's worth 300 bucks. Or there was a, there was a a Kobe rookie that, um, will nerd talk for you. It was a set of cards that Topps was going to produce an issue to all their store, you know, all stores and everywhere nationally. It got scrapped and only went to Walmart. It's called Topps Chrome. It came out in 1996. Um, And so I knew it was going to be a good product because even with Walmart being as big as it was, if that's the only place you can get it, it's going to be a good product. Uh, It's going to be rare, hard to find because they only got, you know, a few boxes per store. So my grandfather, the, the traveling salesman, I tell him about it and he just stops at every Walmart and gets every box he can. And so I take him to card shows and, you know, flip them and everything. And the Kobe rookie in there is worth 40 bucks. And it, I have a page with eight of them on it. And then in the middle, I have the refractor, which the thing is where time is like 400.
1: What is a refractor? And, just real quick.
2: Oh yeah. Sorry. nerd talk. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a shiny, it's a shiny parallel version. It's harder to find. Okay. It's, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and loop me back. Where, where was I going with this guy? You're
1: going with your, your grandfather was picking up these Chrome cards. I think you called them yeah. Chrome cards from what, tops. because yeah, they you're limited.
2: What, uh, what was before that?
1: Uh, well, we were, we were talking about the idea. What was your best score? I brought yeah, okay, the Brady yeah, Ruth yeah, yeah. card. Yeah. And you were saying yeah, you were done collecting in the nineties.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So like, so like this, I'm sitting here with these Kobe cards that I'm like, man, these are awesome. These are going to be great, but I'm in seventh grade and this is, you know, $800. So I'm going to I'm going to get this $800. And through high school, you know, I had, you know, uh, Jackie Robinson, 54 tops. Um, mm. you know, I had a, a Nolan Ryan rookies, Jordan rookies. And just when you sell stuff like that enough, you get over the whole attachment to things pretty quick. And so that I say all that to lead to the, uh, my, my favorites are an ABA basketball, which is the American basketball association, which existed in the sixties and early seventies um it's the red white and blue ball um semi-pro the uh will ferrell movie is based off of the based off of that league Oh, okay um so the the league went around very long and um the ball is iconic people collect it it, whether it be you know a gamer or just a a replica rubber rubber one from a driveway low end is going to be 40 or 50 bucks high end i didn't really know I'm at a Goodwill in Little Rock, and I see one deflated in the bottom of the bin of balls and you know sports, sports equipment. And I pull it out. It's got $7 on it, which is absurd for a deflated basketball, but I see what it is, so I throw it in the cart. And I honestly forgot about it for a couple of weeks. I think i need to look that up. I pull it out. I look it up, and I can't find any comps because the commissioner on it is George Mikan. Every, every ball has, a, has the commissioner's signature emblazoned on it. This one is George Mikan. He was the first commissioner of the league and was only commissioner for a very brief period. And this is a leather ball. It's a game ball. And so it turns out it's probably one of 10 or so known to exist. Wow. And so I just pop it on eBay for 99 cents and let it go. Wow. It, it sold for, I think, 2,700. Whoa. Nice. And it's one of those, you know, it's my probably my favorite sports find ever. And it's, you know, I still feel like I don't, I don't own it, but I own, you know, I'm a custodian. I was a custodian of it. Yeah. I made it, I got it to the display case where it's sitting right now, where oh. someone treasures that thing.
0: You're a piece it's of that history.
2: history. Yeah. And so, you know, like that would be one item. Um, another would be, um, honestly the roof autograph that I just got, um, I just found it in, uh, I think it was, I guess that was February and I paid up, I paid quite a bit for it, but it was a, uh, it was at an estate sale. It was a seller that I trust a lot and he told me that he pulled, that his team pulled it straight out of a trunk and that it, it, you know, the provenance was there, it made sense to me. So I paid quite a bit for it, but you know, as someone who'd been in sports memorabilia my whole life, the Ruth autograph is, you know, that's on your Mount Rushmore, it's yeah. your holy grail. It's the holy grail, yeah. What and was it I, on? I, uh it was on a World Series program, but okay. not from a year the Yankees played in the World Series. Huh. So, it was a 1931 World Series, Cardinals uh, Athletics. And so it was you know, it made it to where if it was a Yankees World Series program, you're talking 5,000 and up, <laughs> you know, re- just regardless of condition, really. But this, this was, would not work that much. But, you know, I sold it, made a, made a little bit of money. And now, I've you know, I can scratch that roof off of my, off of my list. And the most profitable find ever would be a bunch of perfume. <laughs> I, uh, I can't say the name of the online retailer, but there is one that sells high-end, uh, just high-end stuff all kinds of stuff. And they have men's, women's, everything. And I don't know if they still do it, but they used to do a pop-up outlet store and they did it in Louisville, Kentucky. And if you can figure this out pretty easily, if from based on what I'm telling you, I'm going to make you work for it though. <laughs> um, and so they, they had a, their nearest, their, their big warehouse was just outside of Louisville. So they would bring their overstock and their returns and do a one month pop-up in a huge retail store, like say a closed down circuit city or something. And I walk in when you never know what it's going to be. I mean, it can be, you know, a a cart full of $5,000 dresses. It can be, you know, a bunch of earplugs. You just never know. And so I walk in one day and every day is, you know, just a matter of buy it, take it home, put it on eBay, just sell it instantly and repeat the process. And the previous day had been Oakley uh, ski goggles at $5 a pair, new inbox. Hmm and i bought i think i bought like 40 something pair and sold all of them that night so i walk in with my hefty you know my little pile of cash and i'm excited and there's this perfume that is no bigger than this little bitty bottle it weighs i think an eighth of an ounce wow i'm like i pick up the little box and they have hundreds of boxes of them so i pick it up and i scan it with my amazon app and the lowest price on amazon was $42 so I go to eBay, I'm like, okay, let's check this. Lowest price on eBay is like $35. And then I look at the price and realize they're $3 a box. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. And so I, uh, this place didn't allow shopping carts or anything like that. And so I found just a cardboard shipping box they had under a table and literally just start supermarket sweeping these things <laughs> into my box.
1: I love your it, references. You said Circuit City and supermarket sweep <laughs> in a paragraph. And unless you grew up in the nineties, do you know what circuit city is? I know what circuit okay, do city you know is. what supermarket sweep is? No. Okay. So it's a game show where people would run through a grocery store and try to see how much they can get in a cart and their value. Anyways, just it's, I I love Brad's references. <laughs>
2: And, and by the way, I, I was, I was watching it not 20 minutes before we started this. It's, it's on, it's <laughs> on antenna TV for two hours every day. It's fantastic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and so I just, you know, I'm just blowing them in there fast as I can. And obviously a frenzy ensues. And when it was all said and done, I think I had 338 bottles of it wow. and I sold out in under a month and it was, it was over 10,000 in sales. Wow. And so that was the biggest most, because my buy cost on it was, right at a thousand. And that, that was my most profitable ever, but that's not nearly as exciting as, you know, Ruth autograph, ABA man. ball. But
0: but I can imagine that, like, was your like heart beating and you're like hand oh, sweating when you're like, I've got to get these. I've got to-
2: oh, I, I turned purple, man. <laughs> I, 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 it's, I, I can't, I have a terrible poker face. I, when I get excited, the whole world knows it. And so I'm just freaking out, shaking, just trying to keep, keep cool. And, you know, people are still getting handfuls, you know, 20 and 30 of these things. So it was, it, there were probably 500 of them on that table when it started, but wow you know, you take what you can get and move on and do the next one.
0: Wow. Okay. Awesome. Now, one thing that you said that that was really kind of shocking to me was the fact that you're willing to put something up for 99 cents on an auction and just let it go. Right. right. Um, yeah. man, like that, I, that takes some guts. I don't know if I, I've, I'd I be willing to do that with something like that. Is that something that like, you do it's, often, it's, one,
2: it's one of those things that that ball, I just knew it was so rare. And I already had, I'd already been contacted by several people that, you know, like just through doing research and talking to people in the hobby that were interested in it. So I knew I already had people that would be bidding on it. They were real, were real buyers. And it was, it really was just a matter of that 99 cent auction to me was safer than taking someone's, you know, $1,200 offer, $1,000 offer. Um, I got contacted by some people that were formerly involved with the ABA that offered me, you know, some tra- some really nice trade that w- would have been cool, but would have been fifteen hundred dollars tops. And so, for me, knowing I had that built-in legit buyers already coming to me, that ninety-nine cent auction, no reserve, was the way to go in that case. But it's it's not the way to go ninety-nine percent of the time. It's just you know, certain items I could, you know, you got a good feeling and just got to go with it.
0: And another thing you said that it, that that's kind of interesting to me. Like, so I'm sitting in a room right now, just full of inventory that. Uh, has been listed and some of it, um, not a lot of it, but some of it has been up almost a year, right? And it seems to be that you, you're you able to flip stuff, move stuff pretty quickly. So what's your your method or uh, is it your pricing? Like, how are you able to to move things so quickly on eBay? I mean,
2: yeah, it's generally like the things like, the t- like the t-shirts and the 90s t-shirts, that is something that I know that there's a certain number I'm going to be able to get regardless. I put it on my Instagram story for this average number per shirt it's going to sell because the person buying it knows they're going to make money too. Mm. Um, so it's with stuff like that, I can get rid of it quick. There's plenty of stuff I just give up on and redonate. You know, you can't be afraid to just cut your losses and get out. And so that's another thing. It's like, I, it's, it's, I, I'll show, you know, I show the, the big sales, but there's plenty of times where I take a truckload to Goodwill and just write it off. And it's, you know, it's, you got to just admit defeat and move on sometimes. And so it's just a balance of knowing, you know, what I can move, what my, you know, what is, and that type of stuff, when I am giving a truckload away, my buy cost on it was almost nothing. Um, I don't know if y'all saw the Gators that I, that I donated. Yeah. I remember against. you
1: thought they were going to be big. And then what happened? Yeah. Well,
2: they were, the thing was, I bought them at a thrift store in LA and it was a little novelty gun, It was a Gator from uh, the episode of the office or, you know, yeah. various other things. And uh, it's a little novelty, you know, I thought it would sell, you know, for, well, well for pride, pride month, things like that. And they were a dollar a piece, and so I bought eighteen of them at this thrift store, and it was a large bulk. But my buy cost was eighteen dollars, and so I put them in my store on eBay, and uh, I couldn't sell them on Amazon. Um, it's one of those weird items, Orlando. You know, they, they're just like, no man, sorry, you yep. don't really know why. But <laughs> so um, I put them on my eBay store, and nothing really happened. I finally dropped them down to twenty bucks a piece, sold one, and uh, got a return, and the person was. Was upset um, about the nature of the item. I don't really. I, I thought they knew what they were buying, but uh, it was just wasn't worth the hassle. You know, it's just to cut, cut the losses, refund their money, donate them, and be done. Mm. And it's you know, it's just a easy, easy decision when it's eighteen dollars. You know, it's it's easy to say, but there's just certain items you got to know when it's over, and so that was one of them.
1: But, okay. Yeah. So. On that, let's. I want to talk about failure a little bit more. <laughs> so tell I, us, share. We talk about that a lot. I don't know. We all could. We all could. Because we all we always want to bring people on. Because you know, Instagram is very much highlight reel over and oh, over yeah. and over and over again. But there's a lot of losses. So you you've talked about the guitar. What are what are a couple other losses that you would say were pretty major, but you learned something from that you can think of? I'm sure there's I mean, plenty.
2: Well, honestly, one of them one of them is the, the shirts that I shipped out today. Okay. That was a, um, there was a big show, a big swap meet that I was, that I did, um, in Oklahoma this uh, past, I guess it was two months ago. And basically since I hit the road in, um, February, I've been sourcing for that event and I bought a bunch of t-shirts that are really good, 10, 15, $20 t-shirts and piled them up, took them to Oklahoma. The event just didn't work out. Um, not a lot of, not a lot of crowd coming in. And so here I am stuck, stuck with all this stuff that I can't really travel in the RV with an extra three, four hundred pounds of clothing wow. laying around. And so it was after shipping and everything. I just took a loss on that stuff of you know a, a minimal amount, but a loss nonetheless on what went out. And it's just a matter of knowing that you know that was the best option at this point. I I don't know if y'all noticed last month I had a storage unit here for a month in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And that was that was eighty dollars for that one month, but for me to take a loss on this stuff and get it out to someone that I know you know he's bought from me before, he's gonna do well with it, and it's just gonna be out of my way, and I can move on to the next one. you know it's not hard to cut bait and take a take a loss, but at the same time, you know there's very few total losses in this business if you know what you're doing so it's there you know there's the occasional you know electronic thing that goes way south, but very seldom is it just you know. You
1: got zero. Okay, so I I know you've you know you've been transparent about organization and you've been transparent about bad (laughs) buys and everything. But hard to hide it. No, no, I, I get that, and we all have our downfalls. So talk to me about you do some things really well, and I you know we always want to ask people like what are their best practices. So if you could you know get it down to three, what are some three things that you think would help others know? Like this is something you should be doing, whether it's new or an experienced seller.
2: I mean, my first thing that I tell people is you just have to put the time in. I've been fortunate enough to be on my own and able to, you know, if I want to go to Goodwill for eight hours straight, that's exactly what I'll do. And there's a lot, you know, people have families and other circumstances, and you can't you can't just expect to walk into Goodwill, take a lap through, find this shirt, go home, and sell it for ninety dollars. That's just not how it works. And so that's the first thing I tell people is you've got to put the time in. You've got to wake up at 5am on Saturdays and go to yard sales. And you've got to just put the effort out there and it will come back to you. Um, and you got to be patient. You know, it's, I, I, I sit here and scream at the computer every day, telling people to pay me, you know, telling, you know, it's, but the reality is that you can't, you can't make it to where you're relying on that. You know, like you, there's, items awaiting payment that like, you know, you've got to get that payment or you are screwed. That's, you can't, you know, you've got to, you've got to be able to do this where it's not all or nothing. It's not do or die. You got And so that's why, you know, when people say I'm going to start reselling, I'll quit my job tomorrow. That makes my skin crawl because Mm -hmm. you need to, you know, baby steps, you need to learn the ropes, you need to learn your lessons, take your lumps. And eventually it'll all, you know, I mean, it's, and the, it'll all make sense. To me, it's hard when people say, you know, what what do you look for in Goodwill? It's like or what do you do when you get to a thrift store? It's so hard because I the first thing I do is I just take a, a lap around without, you know, breaking stride really, just looking for the obvious for for you know things that anyone would know to grab. And so it's, you know, you can't really teach that without just repetition. And so that's that's really the main advice I give people is you got to put the time in. And you got to be, you know, don't keep your expectations too high. And you don't have to put a bunch of money into this to get started. You can, you can start off reasonably. There's no need to, to sink in a huge investment. So if you just keep your expectations low, keep your, you know, investment low and just take your time, it, it can and will work out.
1: So patience. That's yeah, you would really patience. all it is, patience. Okay.
2: I mean, just patience and the ability to know that, you know, that, You have to be able to look at yourself and and know when you're, you screwed up. Like I said about cutting bait on stuff that you just donate, you know, and you know, you got to be able to look at your stuff realistically. You know, I'm a huge Kentucky basketball fan. I I put a higher value on Kentucky stuff when I look at it, but I have to know when I sell that on the internet, that that's not a factor. You know, it's something that I have to be realistic of what this item's actually worth or I'm never going to get it. And so, you know, it's just being, being practical and stuff like that. Really simple. You know, I wish I, you know, had enough to teach a course on, but it's really, you know, my advice on eBay and reselling is pretty simple. Patience and being practical.
1: But it's so valid because, you know, (laughs) especially when you're new, you want to, you see other people on Instagram and you see people on YouTube and you you know, you definitely want to be there, but a lot of those people have been doing that for a long time. I mean, we're talking about, you're talking, you've been reselling since the early nineties. I mean, this, this took time. So totally get it. Yeah,
2: no, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things. That it just takes time. It's really, that's
0: it. Okay. That's good. Well, since you're giving some advice right now, um, I like to ask our our guests this question. So I'm a teacher, so I get the opportunity pretty much every day to to talk to the young minds, right? And one of the things yeah. that I, I find um, kind of a, a privilege is I try to and get to try and impart some wisdom. So if you had the opportunity to impart wisdom to somebody, like the one life lesson that you wish anybody should know, um, and it doesn't have to be like just young people. It could be young, old, uh, middle age, whatever. Like, but well, what's the one thing you wish that you could just tell the world that they should do?
2: I mean, just or honestly, live. just do do what makes you happy. I mean, I I can't put it down to one word, but if like that's that's what this all this whole RV thing boiled down to is. I wasn't super happy with what where my life was, and you know, my dad had just died at sixty five, and you think you're going to live forever, and you realize you're not, and it's just if I hadn't done what at that time would make me happy, I wouldn't be sitting here right now being the happiest I've ever been. So it's, you know, it's just one of those things that if you do what makes you happy and you, you know, it's the old saying, if you do, if, 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 it, if it makes you happy, it never feels like work. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I never, this never feels like a job. It, it, if I'm in a dumpster or if I'm scanning every CD in Goodwill, I'm just as happy. So
1: that's awesome. That's, that's good to hear. And that's just a constant theme we hear. I, I feel like a lot of individuals that go to full-time reselling, it's not just the reselling, but it's the fact that now they get to enjoy what they do. They did not have to wait till they're 60 mm-hmm. or they're 70. They can travel now. They can have the time freedom, whether th- with their family or their girlfriend or their spouse, whatever it is. So that, yeah. that's so good to hear. Now, yeah, no, it's <laughs> What are you going to say?
2: Oh, no, no. I was... I. <laughs> You so, I, have a, I, have a, I have a horror story from my 89 days of working in corporate America, but that's a whole different.
1: <laughs> so, I, I, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, but you did have a, you did at one time have a, I would say a normal nine to five job. Was that part of your existence at one I, point? And, it, oh
2: gosh, what was it? Like 2000 sometime during the recession. Okay. Uh, my, my dad, was, you know, I was the first person in my family to graduate college. And my dad was pretty adamant about me actually using that degree to get a job. And it was just a tough time to find a job. And I took a job selling ads in a phone book. Nice. In a small town in Kentucky. And it was a, uh, I was selling business ads, cold calling door to door. And um, it was the worst 89 days of my life by far. <laughs> um, there, it just wasn't for me. I love how you and counted every day. Like, what's that? I'm
1: sorry. I love how you counted every day. You give it 89. Like you remember <laughs> well, exactly every day.
2: You know, well, on 90, they would have had to pay me unemployment, so they fired. So they <laughs> oh, so they fired man. me on at, at 89. Um, and so I uh, that when I was driving home, I was like, "Never again, man! Never again are you going to work for someone else." And it's not, and that's that's just my happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, my I, I grew up, my parents were self employed growing up, so it's it's just what personally makes me happy is you know knowing that I don't have to rely on someone else. Okay. And so driving home that day, I was like, "I'm just this. This is it." You gotta, and I, I wasn't mature at the time. I was twenty. I was in my mid twenties and wasn't getting up at five a.m. and going to yard sales, and I wasn't going to Goodwill every day, and I wasn't on top of my shipping. And I just had a conversation. I actually, got stuck in traffic on the way home too, so I had to sit there for like an hour, just you know, soaking it in that I got fired, and uh, oh. just kind of was like, "All right, man, just buckle down and do it right from here out." And it was not instant, but eventually, it and it's still not perfect, but you know, it's worked worked its way into what it is now.
1: Okay. So I want to close us with a question that can can we close? Do you have some more questions? No, like? Okay. So lately, you know, we've been on this kick because right now I, I think people are kind of, and we talked about recession a little bit, but some stuff has c- come out lately on, on YouTube and, and on Instagram. Some people are saying they're done with reselling. I, I've noticed, I keep telling Mike every day I noticed a different reseller that was Instagram and I go to their account and they're gone. Like, I don't know what happened yeah. to them. And yeah, it's concerning to me. And uh, so my question is, what do you think? And maybe you've already answered this, but if you haven't, if you could just <laughs> refresh us, what do you think is the current state of reselling and where do you anticipate it going?
2: I mean, really, if you're bailing on reselling at this point, I you there may be extenu- extenuating circumstances, but there's to me, I don't see any reason to get out. Um, there's always money to be made. It, you just have to know where to sell, where to sell that item. Um, you know how to source it, and it's just—it's trending, and it's trending in the right direction. It's just changing to where you know when people think of reselling traditionally, it's clothing, collectibles, you know, media, maybe, and now it's evolving into you know, like in a in a recession, you're you know, if I'm at Walmart and I see an opportunity to make eighty nine cents on toothpaste, I'm going to do it. if if we're talking about a recession time because people are looking to save that penny, you know, wherever they can. And, um, it's recessions come and go, you know, and people will always, there there'll be good times and bad. And in the good times, people will be, you know, spending money on collectibles and they still do in recessions, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, there's always something, you just got to know what the right time to sell it. And, you know, just as my dad always said, monitor and adjust. Okay. Just, just watch what's happening and, you know, do that. It's, 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 it, you know, you don't have to overthink it. A lot of folks try to make it, try to make reselling a, something you need a, a, a course or a, a degree for. It's not, it's, if you, if you don't overthink it, you can do well with it.
0: Uh, I like that know. saying monitor and adjust. That's good. It's better yeah, than all I was one of, That was one of his big ones. It was, it was basically like get
2: over it was what he was right. saying, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, it's one of those things like if you if you're willing to just pay attention to what's going on around you, you can resell forever. Nice.
1: That's Most good to know. All the because, markets. Well, we're always wondering. We always wonder, you know, how long can can this momentum continue? But uh everyone we've talked to, I think, Mike, right, has yeah. said this is definitely doable. You just you gotta adjust, you gotta monitor, you gotta adapt, you know, whatever word you want to throw in there. So so that's good. Absolutely. All right, Brad. Well, hey, really appreciate you being on the show. I think we lost Brad for towards the end here. All right. You still there? Not a little well,
2: chop, but I, still, I got you a little bit. Okay. Oh, okay. We hear
1: you. So, hey, yeah. at least it happened towards the end, right? Yeah. So right. we're good with that. So, Brad, thanks. <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show. Catch him on Instagram, son of a son of a seller. Also, ramblam, rambling reseller on Instagram. And uh, yeah, check him out. Uh, you will You will not be disappointed.
0: Yeah. Great information. Great laughs. Great guy. We appreciate you having... <laughs> Uh, taking the time pre- to be on the I, show. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Nick. You're
1: incredible. I'm telling you, it, it's, such a, it's such a it's such a it's such a I don't know. I enjoy the story time. I wish yeah. we could have had more. So we'll definitely have you back on sometime. And we just lost Fred. Oh, Bummer. So I guess this is a cue to end the show. So with that, make sure to be real, be relevant and be reselling. Peace.